Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this, the fourth installment in our series called The Psychology and Spirituality of Conspiracy, we discuss one of our favorite thinkers, Carl Jung. We highlight some of his ideas on the archetypes, the trickster, and the shadow, both individually and collectively. We get into shared ideas on being heroic and freeing the power of emotions. We also highlight the nature of avatars and the infamous Q, as well as views on Christianity and its roles in being a conspiracy primer. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jin and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. All right, now we go to one of our favorite, other favorite folks. <laughs> We're going to talk about Carl Jung, right? Mm-hmm. And it's weird because he hasn't come up that much in any of our episodes at all. So this will be one of the first times that we're actually kind of hitting on him. <clears throat> it's kind of funny it went that way. Another person who probably deserves an episode too. So we got a Einstein episode cooking. We got a Carl Jung episode cooking. We got a Chance McKenna episode cooking. We got all kinds of cool people to talk about. But with Jung, um, he definitely has some thoughts about this. And you know, I think people have used his ideas you know, um, in the aftermath of his work to try to understand things. So Carl Jung's famous for this theory of like the archetypes. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that there's a layer in the psyche where there's all these sort of primal, primary ideas and images. They're so deep that they're kind of like the underlying architecture of the mind, right? And I think the idea is that as far as conspiracies and vulnerabilities, there can be these archetypal things underneath the surface that we all have, but they can be particularly strong or they can be shaped in a certain way. Uh, for some folks that will make them more vulnerable to, I guess, darker type theories and that uh, uh, conspiratorial type thought. Mm-hmm. So that's the Jungian part. And I was thinking there might be like at least three of these to talk about. One of the ones I thought was interesting more specifically to the now, and you were having a conversation with, I think Mary Kay Ryan about this, since we have an episode with her previous which was just the trickster archetype and how that looked to be so big now just in the last few weeks. Did you want to say some stuff about that, Daniel? Um, well, definitely worth checking out the episode because the context and conversation is, is far deeper than I'm going to remember off the top of my head now. But I thought, were you talking to her recently about that too or am I misremembering that? I, I mean, she, she I'm about cur- specifically about these instances. I don't remember. Okay, that <laughs> throwing you. I'm throwing you on the spot. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm under the bus, and the bus has ran me over. Uh, yeah, it's pulling in reverse. I'm going to finish the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So uh, either one of us could do it. I like. 
How do you feel about the trickster archetype? You like it or don't like it? Well, the, the trickster archetype is, and we've talked about this before on the show, um, but I, I feel like it's, it, it's kind of like in, he's in the, or he or she or they, they're in the middle, right? They're sort of like, they're the, I mean, in a trickster week, and someone's like, well, what does that mean? Well, you could think about them like a, a, a comedians right now are, are, are even more in this role than they ever have been before, because on some level, they're speaking to truth right? And sort of making fun of our, how society works, but then simultaneously they'll offend people. Right. And they're like, well, how could you say this? Or how could you say that? And the guy, and usually it's a male, sometimes it's a female, but it tends to be more male comics at this point that are a little bit more um, heels in society for now. Uh, That will be like, well, that's just the truth, you know, and they're sort of dancing in and around society, poking fun at, at what we take serious. And so from a media standpoint, it's, it's very pertinent now, you know? Yeah. So Carl Jung's thing was like, there's just an underlying part of everyone's mind that has like a little trickster living in it. Right. We all have it. Right. And it will express in different ways for different folks and like um, cultures themselves will handle them in different ways. Um, So you might have like some parts of the trickster that are like, pretty dark and some parts that are pretty positive. And so you start talking about more like a positive part of the trickster, Mm -hmm. the person who comes out and like slightly like thumbs their nose at authority and just tries to point out, you know, when the emperor has no clothes, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing, right? So there's like kind of positive tricksters. You certainly have some negative tricksters, right? So um, like we'll do our comic book episode at some point. That's another one we have sitting in the in development stages. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's 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 uh, the Joker for the from the yeah. Batman is for sure that for sure the know. trickster. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes he's really interesting character, and other times it's really dark and dangerous. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen like um, the Dark Knight, right, the classic Dark Knight movie with the Heath Ledger thing, that's a certain kind of trickster, right? And I think like, you know, even that movie, if Jung were to watch it, he would say, ooh, this culture is wrestling with the trickster. You know, Mm -hmm. the the trickster of the Joker in that movie is the most interesting character in the whole thing. He seems to see a lot of truths in things. You were a schemer, you had plans. Now I'm just gonna destroy your plans because they're all unfair and they're all whatever. And I'm just Mm -hmm. gonna out them. You know, if you can get to the Heath Ledger performance, you kind of get the feeling of like the trickster from that that Mm -hmm. performance itself, but like a darker type. Right. But like, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny's a trickster too. If you go back to the old cartoons, you know, uh, son of a biscuit. <laughs> so, um, so anyways, there's different versions of this character. Yeah. I think if we do a whole episode on young, we could talk about the trickster for a long time. I got like a little soft spot for it, for sure. I like a little trickster in my life. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was interesting because I was presenting this to some students and I hadn't really made the connection but um, uh, some of the students were saying, well, that's Trump. Isn't he a trickster? I was thinking that when we were talking about I went, that. Yeah, that's true. He is a certain kind of trickster, mm-hmm. you know? And um, if you like his tricksterness, you could really see that that would trigger that in you too. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the whole, I guess, like owning the libs or something like that is like a major thing. And you want to like, you want to kind of like what? Act outside the rules and, and mock the things that you think deserve mocking, you know? which could be either positive or negative, I guess, and how it plays out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a certain kind of trickster. Yeah. He's appealing to that archetype. I thought, was, I thought from what we were talking, I thought Mary Kay saw it that way too. Did she see it that way? Did you all have that conversation or am I just misremembering that? 
I, I mean, I'm not remembering it, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, sw- I swear to God we talked about this last week, but that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> that's okay. But I think she probably would see it that way. I'll reach out, actually, just out of curiosity and see if she has that way, or you can. We'll see what she says. Yeah, I'll see her this weekend, so we'll, I'll chat with her about it. So, yeah. So anyways, he has that quality. And I think what Jung would say is that people who feel like they need to express this part of themselves, especially if they don't really understand it in themselves, mm. you know, it's a part of the human psyche. And if you don't really have a good handle on yourself, it can start to behave negatively. It can start to behave pathologically. Mm. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're into this idea of this trickster, this trickster world and Trump appeals to you or some other trickster character appeals to you, you know, because they're helping you tap into this part of yourself i think that's his point you know and that has a potential dangerous quality um especially if you really don't understand that part of your own psyche right mm-hmm. you're, kind of, you're mm-hmm. kind of being drawn to things and you know again makes you vulnerable in ways so i think what he would really say in the end is you have to get comfortable with that part of yourself mm-hmm. and then it's less likely to be um manipulated by others right yeah the other big one that comes up is the idea of the shadow, the shadow quality. And I've always found this one to be kind of a challenging one to fully talk about, though I feel like I understand it on some level. So the shadow is whatever you really feel that uncomfortable with in yourself, for whatever the set of reasons are, emotional reasons, sometimes like moral or ethical reasons, if you have a culture that is really uncomfortable with like sexuality, that will all go into the shadow, but it's kind of like a general repository for, for things that you feel uncomfortable with, you know? And it's kind of the idea that, you know, these are all parts of yourself and you really can't make them go away is Jung's mm. point. So either you see them and know them, or if you try to repress them, they're going to end up in this sort of collection of like shadow contents, the shadow. And, um, and they'll just be stuck there. And this is like a dangerous thing. They have like major parts of yourself repressed. And then there's a whole idea that once that happens, people will tend to behave weirdly on an individual level or in Jung and other people when they're trying to understand, well, what makes a whole group of people start to act kind of wonky is, you know, something's happening in all their shadows because of the way the culture is. They all end up with a similar thing happening. Hmm. And the next thing you know, it all starts being projected out into the same part of life, you know? So I think in like Jung, I think it's part of the reason why he would try to explain like anti-Semitism in Nazi Germany or something. There were parts of people that were repressed that when it came out, it came out in this completely distorted form and then people like started like projecting all of this negativity onto others. And the next thing you know, you have a whole shit show that results in the aftermath of that. Mm. So that's kind of his, his shadow theory. Have you thought about that one a lot from a shamanic perspective? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a, this is a big part. And even for myself right now, um, this comes up in a lot of, in a lot of work, really. I mean, it comes up not in Chinese medicine. I don't know if we touch on it as much. Um, the kind of repressed parts of people's psyche, or at least it doesn't, I mean, to my knowledge, it doesn't get taught readily. That, you're right. It's not like a major thing. Like you read an old Taoist book and they make a huge deal about this. I, I think that's true. For right. whatever reason, I haven't seen that so obvious. Yeah. 
obvious, right? Right. But then again, in, in you know, what we're getting in, in terms of Chinese medicine is probably not exactly uh, the original content. You know no, but I'm, I'm also going back to old Taoist books. I'm not just okay. relying to what's in the textbook from okay. you know, <laughs> some dude. Right, right. Some white <laughs> yeah, guy. Like in old Taoist books, I'm kind of like, I don't think I really see it as prominent as it might be in some other traditions. But right. Yeah. So, so from a shamanic perspective, you know, and even in, the, in, in, in all shamanic cultures, not just shamanism from a Native American or whatever kind of perspective, but, you know, in, in Buddhism, this is a huge part, you know, is the various aspects. We just mentioned that there's 80, in terms of the five aggregates, right? There's 80 parts of the consciousness that are there sort of underlying that some of us have expressed or unexpressed, but they're all kind of there. And that fits in, it fits in here. And I think it, it, they, they're different for everybody, right? And so people who yeah. use a lot of, not a lot of, but people who do work with various psychedelics, right? They call, you know, they'll, they'll refer to it as medicine. And when they talk about integrating people's experience, whether they have on their medicine, they're a lot of times referring to this part. So in, in the episode that we did where I kind of talked about my experience with ayahuasca, the, the sessions are done at night and you asked part of why they're done at night. Well, part of this is because of the, this idea of working within the layers of the shadow. Yeah. What's, what, what's repressed, right. What's mm -hmm. hidden in the darkness. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, that, yeah. like, you're trying to illuminate those, those parts of oneself by working in those unilluminated parts of oneself. So I feel like that this is, it, it's more prevalent than we probably realize, but it's, it's almost impossible to identify because of the fact that we're dealing on a, on a, uh, on, with factors that are below the level of most of our consciousness on a daily basis anyways. And so this kind of, um, uh, okay. So on the one hand, if you look at it on the negative side of this, it's, it's not good <laughs> for sure, mm. right? It can lead to this lack of awareness and all these distortions in the person on the other hand, there can be this thing, and I guess from a shamanistic perspective, I'd be curious how you think about it, you know, that it can be a deep reserve of repressed energy, you know, that can then be kind of accessed and used in a more positive way. If it can, if it can kind of come out of repression in the way that is more healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds very Buddhist of you, my friend. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is true that it's a, it's an untapped potential because if we think about emo, just, we won't even say energies, let's just say emotions, mm -hmm. they're very charged, right? Especially the strong ones. So what will people do for, if they're angry, though, anything is possible when someone is angry, right? Murder is possible, right? C kicking your dog in the face is possible. Hitting your lover is possible. Not that someone's going to do it, but it's possible. It runs across your mind. Um, simultaneously, we'll use, we'll use another strong emotion, lust. What is possible when lust? Well, you can, you know, end a relation end a marriage over a lust. You can, you know what I'm saying? Like even more heinous acts can be because it's such a strong emotion. And so things like this that are, are kind of in the, in the well, so to speak, right. That are there just because they're not necessarily boiling to the surface doesn't mean they don't have influence on the way in which that we think and act. And so by assimilating them into our conscious mind, moving unconscious things up to the level of our consciousness gives us a, a, a higher amount of control over them as opposed to them having an amount of control over us. But like you mentioned, 
gives us a sense of increased energy because there's so much power associated with those feelings that we don't have to be driven by unconscious factors anymore. We could actually harness that energy consciously and do something positive with it. Whereas before when it's kind of like in the background, um, it's having an effect on us that we're not quite sure what it's doing, positive or negative. So we might as well take the reins and, and move it in a direction that we feel is productive for ourselves and, and maybe even for our family and, and society. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing because you and I both are comfortable with like a, sometimes a little bit of a physics metaphor, right? Mm. So if you have to repress something, it takes a lot of energy to repress it, mm -hmm. right? you're using energy to do that. And you're also using the energy that's in the thing repressed is kind of lost. So like you lose kind of an energy in who you are, right? Mm -hmm. You lose a power in your own psyche, which I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe it makes you feel more powerless like the way we were talking about before. It makes you more vulnerable to these things too. Because you're kind of not, I guess, in a sense, being able to have access to the own power within your own personality, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's why I mentioned earlier that like the sense of control is an illusion. It's an, it is an illusion. We're, we don't have control over our external world. We really, we, in, a, in a sense, we don't. I can't control the weather that I know of anyways, although I've been working on some spells. So we'll see. You know, I, I really would like it to be 75 next week because my shorts are getting wrinkly in my, in my closet, you know? Yeah. Um, but regardless, I'm, all, I'm in complete control over my internal environment always and forever. But the fact that I don't remember that then allows me to be influenced by, you know, the, the, the news of the day more than others or, the, you know, somebody give me some information or my desires, right, from one day to the next. So embodying these things consciously is, is an opportunity, you know, for, for freedom from them in a negative sense, right, that I don't necessarily have to be strapped down by all of these feelings in a way that I'm unaware of, so... Um, it's kind of a funny from a Carl Jung point of view because he has the whole synchronicity thing and I literally just got a text from someone saying that we had this conversation about this which I don't remember specifically the conversation <laughs> but you know she was saying yeah you were talking about how you can control your internal environment even when you can't control your external environment and yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so, that's, okay. that's part I mean we're, we're doing that's we're, we're saying I mean we're saying explicitly and implicitly kind of in all the things that we're doing we're we're in every episode, just about, we're trying to take something that we view as a factor in society. And maybe we should say more an unconscious factor. And sometimes it's a conscious factor, but various factors in society, i.e. us too, because we are a part of society and we're moving it up to a level in which that we can understand it and then digest it, right? As opposed to just floating around and feeling like we don't have any influence over it. We do. We just have to first recognize that it's there. Yeah, it's definitely like a misstatement of the whole the whole endeavor, the whole GNT endeavor, mm -hmm. and probably a little bit what fits both of our theories of what constitutes like psycho-spiritual growth, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to do this for oneself. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so you threw out the social aspect of this too, you know, and I think Jung got this, you know, different societies will have different issues with different parts of life, right? And, and maybe even like different subparts of a, of, a, of a society or a culture like the United States will have different issues with different parts of life. And I guess if you get back to the other thing we like to bash all the time, which is the social media part, <laughs> the social media thing kicks in because if you have these kinds of issues, things that appeal to the shadow parts of you become addictive or become stimulating in ways and they just kind of lure you in. You're more drawn into that, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, if you have something 
thing that a whole bunch of people have issues with than the fact that you have something out, you know, in the in the social media sphere that's trying to pull people in. All of those people who have issues with that part of life are being like lured hypnotically in, right? To you know that part of the social media uh, ecosphere or however you want to put it, right? Because they got mm-hmm. issues with this set of archetypes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and whether that's, you brought up the ones, whether it's aggression, right? Or sexuality, which a lot of times are things that are being repressed, um, um, which can be dangerous, you know, but still you have to come to terms with them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly know in Tibetan Buddhism, make a big deal about these two sets of emotions. You have to come understand the aggressive sides of your personality and you have to understand the sexual sides of your personality, right? And they have meditations that are specifically like on, really aggressive looking Buddhist figures, right? With like horns and arms and knives and spears. And, you know, so you and that's the same, like, and it's the same person. It's the same, same one. Same. That's just one image. <laughs> one, yeah. One, one, one dude or one lady. Yeah. You know, everything's going on. They got all of the things. <laughs> yes. 27 arms loaded up like yeah. arms of the hilt, man. That's right. They're literally armed. Yes. <laughs> Every arm is armed. That's um, right. And or like the parts that are kind of more saucy to tap into the sexuality part, right? Because you mm-hmm. know that you're going to have issues with these things. But yeah, no matter what it is, you know, if these things get kind of pushed into the shadow space, then that's 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 where they're going to get you, mm. right? That's what's going to lure you into whatever that conspiracy theory is or wherever that thing. You know, obviously advertisers use this all this kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. So that's the that's the social media part, and that's kind of like part of the young part. I guess the part that struck me listening to the QAnon people, and, and again, we talked about this a little bit off mic. What really occurred to me was that I think there might be some kind of heroic archetypal thing being repressed in people too. That people want to feel like they're doing something noble mm. or big or important. And if you're robbed of the opportunity to do that, then that part of your personality that wants to express what can be like very positive things, they don't have an outlet. And then that gets sucked into something like a QAnon too. And if you don't know as much about it, this might not make any sense because you know, you're talking about a weird conspiracy that involves like blood drinking pedophiles and whatever. But when you actually listen to interviews with the QAnon people, you find this thing where they're like, they really think that they're on some kind of heroic mission. And this Travis view was talking about that too. So in a way they feel like they're doing something very noble and it's, it's kind of ennobling and they feel inspired and they feel probably better about themselves in some ways because they feel like they're tapping into this part of themselves that is heroic. Does that make sense what I'm saying there, Daniel? I was really struck by looking at the interviews. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have a, a number of people who I know who, you know, follow all of this stuff kind of very closely. And this gives them positive motivational forces or positive motivational, you know, wins to continue their, you know, their re- quote unquote research and their their fervor. And, and I think because it sort of wraps it up into something that we kind of talked about earlier, this idea of connectivity, that you feel like you're contributing back to society, number one, 
But number two, you're doing it with other people who have the same kind of desire to contribute to society in a positive way. And we've mentioned Joseph Campbell, which is to be another good episode that we would, could do. Yeah, um, yeah. And who doesn't want to be the hero? Everyone wants to be the hero in every story, always. And if you believe that you are the hero, then you are never wrong. You are never wrong. And once you're the hero, then you get to tap into all the various um, layers of oneself, whether it be anger or whatever, and you can act in any way that seems justified for how a hero would act in a moment, right? Because the, the overarching story is bending to where you believe is towards the positive, towards the good. And so then however it is and whatever you end up doing in the meantime is just a means to an end towards a positive goal. Yeah, so the QAnon thing is interesting with this because again, as I tried to understand it more since even our last episode recording, because there's a legit thing like there's going to be the storm and then there's going to be this enlightening moment where in a certain sense, it's the eradication of all evil forces in like one fell swoop. So that's, you know, if you really thought that was true, then you're going to be, you know, it's uh, you're going to feel like you're part of some like overarching, like grand enterprise, you know, and it's very heroic feeling. Well, Jung this has this thing. Oh, sorry, real quick, man. Jung has this thing he calls like inflation by an archetype. When an archetype really takes you over, it inflates your personality, you know, it like kind of seizes control. And I was watching that and I was going like, okay, yeah, this looks like inflation of some kind of heroic archetype because you see yourself as a warrior on, or, or someone striving for this grand noble cause. Yeah. And then self-sacrifice becomes easy. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Self-sacrifice becomes very easy and, it, and it's religious at this point. I mean, it's tapping into the same, I mean, this sounds like the rapture, right? Yeah. It sounds like end of days. It's just the same, same story. And it's pulling at the same deep parts of people that want to feel like they're going to be the, the, the ones who, who are the drivers of salvation. Yeah. So we're going to like do the religious thing in a deep way too, because it's a major factor. And I think it's like, it's perfect what you're saying. I totally, I totally vibe with it. I, I was, I mean, I was pretty affected by the, okay, let me try to like tell a story and I'll tell you how it hit me. So I was with my eight-year-old and I was just watching like Stephen Colbert right? I'm trying to give him a little bit of a feeling of what's going on in the world. And he can sometimes get some of the humor, right? Or at least he knows it's supposed to be funny. Mm -hmm. And there was one of the women from, you know, the storming of the, uh, the Capitol building last week. I don't know if you saw it, Daniel, but okay. So she got maced. They have a video of her <laughs> and she was maced trying to go in. So she got like maybe like a few feet in the door she was maced and like forced back out again. But in the video, they kind of show her and her eyes so watering from the tears of the mace, but this happened, you know, and the interview was going, so what happened? And she's going, they maced me, they maced me, man. And he's going, well, what were you doing? And she was like, well, I was, I was trying to get in the Capitol and they just maced me. And she's just in shock, <laughs> you know, that she was maced. I think she really thought like, I was going to walk right in there and it was going to be this heroic moment, right? Mm -hmm. She has on this huge piano scarf, if you see in the video, it's like a scarf with this piano keyboard. <laughs> and you sort of watch and you're like, okay, she's obviously like, you know, the other thing that this kind of inflation leads to, you know, like what you were talking about is delusion, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So she's just completely deluded. And in the end, she gives out her name, and she gives out her city where she lives, like right to the interviewer. So that's a great way to get yourself arrested, right? 
and then uh, uh, when he asks her, like, what were you doing? And she, she just goes like, what's well, a revolution that we're like throwing over the government? Like she thought that was going to happen, <laughs> you know? And I guess Trump was supposed to storm in in some heroic moment and they were just going to like eliminate all the forces of evil in like one fell swoop. It was, you know, so yeah, that's it. That's the archetypal thing when it inflates, you know? All kinds of delusions are possible, right? Mm. Yeah, it's deep, man. Jung's deep. Yeah. Before we totally relieve him and maybe go to the religious side, you know, um, what you were bringing up, Daniel, uh, he has one other thing about like, that's interesting. He was talking about what it is to like live a disembodied existence. Mm. And what he meant was, there's a, 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 like a video of him talking about it. So I don't know if I can find it, we can put the link up with the episode or something like that, but you might be able to search it if you're curious, if you just happen to hear the episode. And he had resisted to even recording his own voice because he thought, well, this is, you're hearing my voice outside of being projected from my own personality. You're already distancing from me. You're hearing my voice, but you're not really hearing me because there's already this line of like distance happening. It's getting more disembodied and more disembodied. And he had this warning that the more disembodied you get, the more there's kind of a splintering of, of people, you know, like you're not really hearing, you're not really hearing the person speaking to you directly. It gives an illusion of being spoken to directly, but you're really not. And the voices mm. and the ideas are being disembodied from the person who is trying to express them. And it's, he really thinks it kind of splinters people. It's kind of like in traditional cultures that they don't want to be photographed or something, you know, like some traditional cultures, they got that thing. Mm -hmm. you know, it disembodies you in some way. I'm not saying it's bad to be photographed. And I don't think you and I would think that, but he is making kind of an interesting point that, you know, if you get into the social media part, you know, if you extrapolate that out, that it is all kind of like disembodied existences and people get like splintered. I think there's probably a truth in that. Does that seem true to you? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean that, that the, our social media profile is an, as an, a literal avatar. I mean, they call it an avatar. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it is an avatar and, you know, having, you know, I, I can't call them friends because I don't interact with them in, in the regular world at all. Um, but, you know, people who I have associations with online, it's interesting because these are people who in, in some aspect would have a hard time holding a conversation in real life, you know, for various reasons. Maybe yeah. it's not that outgoing or whatever. But then online, because you're able to even hide behind, even if it's just a picture of yourself, an abstract picture or whatever, right? But a, a still shot of yourself in a non-vulnerable still shot, because people very rarely put vulnerable still shots up as, of, of themselves for fear of, you know, being judged by that picture. That's true. You're usually like the person's up on the top of a mountain or they're like, you know, like. Uh... Or it's just a good angle. You know, yeah, just like a, just a good even angle. Even in a more mundane way, yeah, it's a good angle. Yeah, just a good angle, yeah. you know, or you're concentrating on something, you know? Yeah. Um, that these people feel emboldened or empowered to say things they wouldn't say in real life. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's You true. know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and not just, and it doesn't even have to be crazy conspiratorial things. It's just deep conversational pieces that are, that are a soliloquy, not inducive, of dialogue or not inclusive of dialogue. It's just, here's my thought. I'm going to give my thought now. And that is, be and, and the reason why I say that is because of the avatar. It's because of this idea of A, not really being held accountable for what you're saying. 
And number two, because it's kind of like, not, it's you, but it's not really you, right? So this woman's yeah. going to the Capitol to overthrow the government. Of course, who would want to throw an evil government? I, if a government was evil, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Un unfortunately, <laughs> the, the, yeah. it's not so clear. And if you feel like you're on the right side of shit and you go to do your thing and you get maced, that's a moment of enlightenment. Like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> well, I think just the, the, the part that's so, I mean, it's played up for comedy in the Colbert show, you know, and they got their bits they're doing on it. Sure. But if you watch it with like, I don't know, if you decide to watch it with a, like the kind heart, you know, you take that attitude. Right. You know, part of you is laughing because you're like, what the hell did you think was going to happen? <laughs> you know, they maced me, <laughs> you know? But part of you is also looking like, oh, look at this lady. She really thought this magical thing was going to happen, mm. right? Because she's so wrapped up in this, I guess, heroic archetype thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, before we totally leave it, leave it I, this has bothered me for a long time. And maybe it'll come up in the comic book episode too. But I do think that people need moments in their life where they can be heroic. Of course. You know, you need to have that thing that you can tap into. And if you do the kind of spiritual stuff that we're doing, just from like a psychological perspective, you get to tap into that part of yourself. It gets mm. a way of expressing yourself. You do a hard retreat. You know, you and I were both on retreat over the break and we were like talking about it. You know, you can tell your war stories. You know, you can think that you did something that had some challenge. You learned things. You went on a little journey, right? It feels mm -hmm. heroic, right? You go to a ritual, you know, uh, down in Peru. You've gone on an adventure. You've taken a journey. You've come out the better for it. You know, you've done all that Joseph Campbell stuff. You feel heroic. Mm. right and if you don't get any chance to feel heroic in your life i do think that archetype kind of sits around in there and just doesn't get any chance to express itself mm. and i think i've been aware of that for a long time on some level as i was thinking about this i was like yeah and i hadn't thought about it in a long time but like i have like some novels kicking i like the right you know some are more serious some not some are more like outlines but i remember thinking like a long time ago one that i came up with i don't know a long time ago was just about this problem you want to express something heroic if you don't have the opportunity to do it. Mm -hmm. How do you find that, right? Especially well, if you were like, you grew up on comic book movies and shit. You know, you want to express your inner Thor or your inner Black Widow or whatever. But where do you get the chance to do that in your adult life? Well, two things. One, yes, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is deep, right? And yeah. you know, we'll use a couple, a couple pop culture references. One is Fight Club. So mm -hmm. this exact thing right here is the entire premise of Fight Club, which, you know, it's a great movie, but it speaks to this specifically, right? This kind of silent generation. It's like, well, we didn't have a great war to go through. We didn't have a great thing to come out the other side of, which is basically what they're saying is that we didn't have an initiation in, into adulthood. We didn't have an initiation to the heroic side of our personality, like many cultures have, um, because there is none. Like, when are you an adult? Yeah, he does make that point a lot. And because I've listened to the book too, as an audio book, I was mm -hmm. listening to it, like doing a little literary research, mm. a well-written book too. Right. Mm -hmm. and you're right. He does make that point a lot. You mm -hmm. know, there was never a moment where we got to take on that thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people don't have that in their lives and therefore they don't have the opportunity to really be heroic, but I'm, I'm going to say right now, for those who are still listening, um, you can be heroic on a daily basis. It's called being kind. And you could be kind to anybody and everybody in so many different ways that it's the fact that, you know, we don't do this more often and, and, and really allow ourselves to help other people and feel heroic in, the, in our way of helping. It's sad, 
really, you know, and, and if you don't have money, if you don't have time to donate, then, then money helps. And if you don't have money to donate, then time or helps. And if you don't have either one of those two things, then, then just being kind to yourself, to people around you, to the environment is a form of, of, um, of being heroic. You can be heroic in the way that you can like help. I mean, if you just like, we, if you take it from the perspective that we're trying to, we're doing the podcast from, you can be heroic in trying to like help other people. You can be a heroic in trying to understand yourself. Mm-hmm. Those are both heroic things to do, right? Mm-hmm. And the more you understand yourself, the more you're going to be able to help other people and like vice versa, right? So through the process of trying to help others, you're going to kind of understand yourself as well. So you can, mm-hmm. you can do a heroic thing. But I mean, I think that's a, fair, that's a fair kind of cultural critique that kind of fits into this archetypal thing. And I could definitely see in the Q9 where people are trying to express that part of themselves. Like I think a, a Carl Jung would see that. He would say, yeah, they're trying to figure out some way of expressing this heroic archetype, but they haven't had any chance to, you know? And even that Jonathan Haidt, who I was talking about earlier, the social scientist who does the political aspect, you know, like even people who maybe did fight in the war, like the way you fought in the war, Daniel, you know, he makes the point that that, in, that war in the end didn't feel as meaningful, even for the soldiers who went, because in the end you thought, well, what's the... What's the underlying cause? Is there an underlying cause with this that ends up feeling satisfying? I don't correct. Think no, that's, it's correct. Yeah. You don't walk away with that thing that the, the soldiers felt coming back from World War II or something like that. You don't get to have that moment either. No, you even know? though George Bush uh, did a victory lap for all of us, you know, mission accomplished. On the plane <laughs> with the jet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, all GW. Right. <laughs> Friday at home. And it just went on for another like 10 years after that or something. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's kind of the Jungian piece of this. I also thought it showed a lot of foresight for him to realize that people's personalities would start to splinter in exactly the way you're talking about Daniel. Mm-hmm. It'd be a bunch of avatars disconnected from the actual embodied person. It disembodies people, you know, it's, it's a, it's cool that he did that. All right. So the next thing we have on the docket is um, the religion problem right? Religion is a potential contributing factor to this as we kind of shift our gears. So religion and religion and conspiracies. Yeah. And again, we'll both probably probably have our own thoughts on this. But there is a part of me that, um, again, pet theories. But I do think that there's part of Christianity. And this is again, we're not bashing anything because you and I both have aspects of Christianity that we really love. But there is the danger in Christianity that it's a religion that is kind of like purposely irrational if you sort of understand it, you know? Um, And even if you look at like the deep history, like I came out of like a Catholic thing, so did you. At some point during the service, they go, let us explore the mystery of faith. And then, you know, if you understand like even the backstory of say the mystery of the Trinity, it's not supposed to make any sense. Like it's deliberately designed that like it's not logical and it's irrational. And there could be an upside to that because it taps you into mysteries that are beyond rationality. But there can maybe be a problematic side too, where if you have a whole culture influenced by something that it's like doesn't, has that irrationality so much at the core and doesn't encourage a kind of a critical thought that can kind of go off the rails, I think, on some level. But that's more a controversial one from my own personal pet point of view. But I'm not sure what you think about that, Daniel. What's your, what's your take on something like that? Well, there's a lot there. I think the only thing I want to say 
is that um, questioning, right, is, is very important. However, answers are also mm, problematic. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. So linguistically, the word question, quest, I, on, right? That's how you spell question. And linguistically, it's, it's when you say you have a question, you're, you're referencing to the person you're asking a question to, or the being or whoever you're asking question to, that you're on a quest for knowledge, a quest for answers, a quest for information. However, once you find that information, oftentimes the quest is over. And so this kind of refers back to the, the Google thing, right? The internet, the Wikipedia thing. It's like, well, I have a, in, I have, I'm on a quest for information. Oh, good quest is over. I just pulled my phone out and now this quest is finished. But the consistent asking of question keeps driving people to further and further inquiry, which keeps people open, I believe. So I understand the, the lack of uh, critical uh, um, insight on some, on some things that are, that are intentionally abstract. However, part of that is open to then individual interpretation as opposed to just saying, here's the answer, you know, or here's the, here's the blank answer or not answer. Yeah, it's kind of like almost two sides to that thing. One side you're pointing out is like, if you just feel like you have the pat answer, you know, with that little Dunning-Kruger effect or whatever it is, mm -hmm. like, okay, I got it, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm tapping out. Here I here I am. And by the way, I'm an expert now. <laughs> <laughs> I did my I did my research. I looked for three <laughs> seconds. Twenty five minutes. <laughs> you went three seconds. I went twenty five. Yeah, so that's I, I was being short. <laughs> uh, I looked for I looked for five minutes. I'm researched on this topic now. I can you know yeah yeah. So like that's the that's the one side of it. And then you know if you can remember back, I mean from last week we went through all these different factors. And one was the idea that if you're just willing to hold absolutely contradictory things in your head, and not criticize them, mm -hmm. then that's going to leave you more inclined to like be conspiratorially vulnerable, because even if all the shit doesn't add up, you're like you don't you don't self critique in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know if you buy into the like my feeling this way a little bit about Christianity and that's not to bash, you know, it's just pointing out like something that could be that could be a problem because there's no doubt that like a lot of the people who are maybe QAnon have an overlap with the religious Christian part of the, the culture, too. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's a thing, you know. So, you know, uh, you know, I think some of the Asian spiritualities don't let you get away with that as much, mm. you know, that kind of internal grinding inconsistency. And, you know, I, I feel like I got to like, I feel like it's worthwhile pointing out just for people to think about, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. you have to like, and again, not Christianity isn't like that. Obviously there's very thoughtful Christianities and this has come up in other episodes too, mm -hmm. you know, but the ones that maybe are totally just messianic and totally just faith-based and totally too much that way, right? All just based on that. There is a kind of a danger in that, obviously, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, you have all this contradictory shit and you have what you're talking about. Well, I got my answer now. It's Trump's the guy who's going to help out with this huge, massive problem and solve all evil within human humanity. I mean, you know, it's, that, that deserves to be questioned. <laughs> <laughs> There's some internal inconsistencies within that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose that's just, that's just something worthwhile thinking about, you know. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Nietzsche said, I mean, before we maybe drop it for this week and maybe we have to do like a little short one on this, maybe to wrap this whole thing up and we will have, we will have conspiracyed ourselves uh, over with. But, um, you know, Nietzsche said something about this too, which is just that um, in Christianity, because you have to suppress so much of your, so much of your own personal desires and wants, there's a Christianity that can go that way. Then that all goes into the shadow and it comes out in these negative, bitter ways, mm. you know, because you, it, it, it can emphasize a kind of a self-sacrifice in a way that's kind of lopsided and um, again, yes, yeah, so self-sacrificial and those needs and desires that you have that aren't, aren't being able to be uh, expressed are being repressed at the, you know, uh, um, to allow you to be self-sacrificing. Those things don't go away and mm-hmm. then they fester inside and then they come out in these negative ways. Mm-hmm. So he had made that call too. And I think there's something about that just worthwhile pointing out. You know, I think even though in Buddhist thought you have this bodhisattva ideal, I know for myself, I think it's not like you're supposed to just completely self-stultify yourself. You're also supposed to like somehow learn to express your own self too and help other people do it. You know, and for you're and also for, supposed to do it for yourself. You're not supposed to completely just sacrifice yourself. And yeah. for those who are unaware of what bodhisattva is. Yeah, so these are people who are seeking their own psycho-spiritual development, their own enlightenment, not just for themselves, though, but for the idea that as they learn more about themselves, they'll be in better situation to help others. Mm. The bodhisattva ideal. And I don't know, what do you think about that? What do you think about the self-sacrificing parts of the Christian thing? Does that speak to you at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I think it's inherent in in their in their main in the story. In the yeah. story, I mean, that's the it's built on that. It's built on self-sacrifice. It's built on compassion, and yet, um, it I don't know that that is the the core tenet of the populist idea of Christianity. Actually, oh, that's really complicated. You're right. You're right. I'm a complicated person. (laughs) Complicated, nuanced insights. You got layers. I have a deep, I have a deep shadow. (laughs) But no, I, I believe that. I really do believe that's the case. That when you think of Christianity, you, you're you're not. It's not immediately. Oh wow, those people are very compassionate and they're very self-sacrificing. No, it's not at all, actually. and then it's kind of like, well, you know what they, you kind of have an idea what they believe in. And it's a very kind of monolith in and of itself. And that's, that's dangerous for that tradition. And it's dangerous for all traditions to not be viewed as um, vehicles of self-practice, of, of making oneself better to help society, I, I believe. Because I do think all traditions have very similar ideals, which is, treat people well, treat yourself well, you know, open your heart, love people, understand that we all come from the same divine aspects. Um, so it, it, that, that self-sacrificing aspect is a big part, but, but not big enough because it's not one of the things that I think most people think about when they believe uh, what, what they, when they think about what they believe in, in Christianity to be identified as. What's the Joel Olstein kind of a thing? What do they call that kind of uh, the prosperity gospel? Prosperity gospels, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, don't worry about educating yourself, okay? Don't worry about uh, fixing your portfolio. 
you donate to the gospel, okay? Donate to Joel, and then the universe, God, will repay you tenfold. So, you know, if Joel doing good, don't worry. In this life, probably, maybe, who knows, you'll do good too. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like the, uh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the, yeah. That's maybe all you can say about that. Yeah, so these are, I guess what we would say in the end is these are distortions of, of a Christian ideal, right? Mm -hmm. One would be like the Nietzsche thing. You suppress yourself so much that you end up with all this internal anger and frustration and bitterness, and then it comes out negatively. That's what Nietzsche was talking about. And then he said, like, eventually, like, in the German culture, this will erupt violent, mm. you know, and it, it did, right? Mm -hmm. Or it can be the prosperity gospel twist, which is a distortion, right? Mm -hmm. Or it can be that I don't, I, I'm so, I'm so, like, taken by the idea of faith that I don't think critically about my thoughts and ideas. And then the next thing you know, I'm going to be pray for all kinds of stuff, right? That's internally contradictory and mumbled and garbled and, you know, and then pathological, right? So this is kind of like all stuff that can just go wrong within this tradition. And that's not a bash against this tradition. You could no, probably no. go to other traditions and say they can go off the rails in similar ways. Oh yeah. But this is like just the way this has gone off the rails and you can't like kind of divorce this from what's happening, mm -hmm. right? So I think there's something about that. All right, that, I mean, that looks like we did a lot. I feel like we got one little mini thing. I don't know if you're as into it, but I'm into it. You're saying no, I probably say yes. <laughs> I think we got to talk about the Tantra thing just a little bit. You know, I think there's one other little Tantra thing. So maybe we'll indulge ourselves just for one little short little mini episode. And then we'll talk about comic books or something. But we can like, we can see what we think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but maybe we got a wrap for today. So uh, yeah, I think, we, I think we did a lot of good with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, yeah, Daniel. So. You got it. Yeah, thanks so, for sharing everything. Absolutely. And everybody, thanks always for, uh, for listening and for sharing and, and for your feedback. We definitely, you know, we love to hear it. Um, it's, it's important for us, but uh, not required. So we'll continue making. <laughs> um, anyways, for Eric, this is Daniel. Thanks for tuning in to Gin and Tantra. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace.